0: and welcome to another edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. As usual, I'm your host, and everybody knows who I am, so I'm not going to tell you again. We've done 51 episodes by now, you ought to know. And if you're not sure who I am, listen closely to the interview today, and eventually you'll figure out my name. And, um, but if you really want to know now, you can go to the website at confessingourhope.com, and there you'll see who I am. That was all a joke, of course, but today is November twenty second, two thousand and thirteen, and this is broadcast number fifty one. And as I was talking off air with our guest, who we'll be speaking with in a few minutes, um, today is a significant day in American history—at least, a significant to me. Um, as I was making notes about this podcast this morning, I actually wrote down nineteen. I started to write down nineteen sixty three. Now, maybe you think I'm loony. Perhaps I am. That may be beside the point, but it's interesting that today is the 50th anniversary of the Kennedy assassination, and may, many of my listeners are probably weren't alive during that time, I suspect. Um, I wasn't, um, but it's been sort of an intrigue of mine for many years, and um, so I thought I'd mention that. It was a sad day. Um In American history. But uh, anyway, so we're doing this this podcast number 51 on the 50th anniversary of Kennedy's assassination. (laughs) So I don't know if that means anything or not. But anyway, today we'll be talking with Ben Coppers. He's a pastor of an RCA congregation in Lansing, Illinois. We'll be talking with him about the denomination. Uh, Maybe you listen to this podcast on a regular basis and you don't know much about the RCA. And that's possible. Um, But after today, You should have a better understanding of the work of the RCA, what they're doing, what are some of the key issues, key players, uh, key concerns, that kind of stuff. And we'll be getting to that in just a minute. As usual, if you want to find out more about Greenville Seminary, you can do that on the web at gpts.edu. In addition to that, we do have a mobile app that you can take advantage of. I say this every week. But you can use uh, the GPTS mobile app. You can get it for both your Android and iOS device. And it is very helpful, useful tool so that if you're stranded in an airport somewhere or waiting in line, whatever the case may be, you can listen to this podcast as well as chapel sermons, theological conferences, whatnot. There's a bunch of information, a bunch of resources packed into this mobile app. And, of course, it is free For your use, So take advantage of that. We've had quite a few people get it to date, and um, so if you don't have it, go ahead and get it. It's information's on the website for you to uh, take advantage of. In addition to that, we do uh, want you to avail yourself of the the recent segment that we've been doing, the special segments that we've been running monthly with Dr. Piper, the president of the seminary. We call it Faith in Practice. It's an opportunity for you, the listener, to send your questions to us, and you run the program. You send your theological question, your practical question, whatever it may be, uh, to us, and we will uh, read your question on the air, and Dr. Joseph Peipa will answer it for you, live and in color, as it were. And if you do get your question read on the air, I will send you a free copy of a book of your choice that is listed on the website. So take advantage of that. Um, Again, that information is on the ConfessingOurHope.com website for your use. Now, as I mentioned, we'll be speaking with Pastor Ben Coppers today about the RCA, uh, its beginnings. What does it even stand for? You might be thinking, well, RCA, that's, that's a TV company, isn't it? Well, no, it is, but that's not what we're going to be talking about in today's discussion. So, Pastor Coppers, it's good to have you on. And as we talked off air, you're you're in Lansing, Illinois, and, and thankfully you are not in that region Hmm. where those big those storms came through, and, and, and so thankful to the Lord for your safety and that. But thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to talk with me. Yeah, it's my pleasure, Bill. And tell us, uh, Pastor Coppers, as I mentioned already, the RCA. Um, it's not a TV company. What what does RCA stand for?
1: Yeah, RCA stands for the Reformed Church in America. And okay. the Well, we'll talk about what it is, I guess, so fire away.
0: Absolutely. Right, sure. Now, uh, what kind of history does the RCA have? Uh, Obviously, uh, a Reformed church in America, uh, does the RCA have any uh, presence outside the country?
1: Yeah, it does. Um, The RCA has a a pretty significant presence in Canada, and so uh, largely we're Reformed church in America, meaning North America, not just the United States of America, and um, a a missionary presence uh, throughout the world. Uh, perhaps hmm, decreasing great. over time, but uh, we've been a very mission-involved denomination over the over the many centuries that we've been around. Great. And how
0: did the denomination come into existence?
1: Yeah, well, it, it's a rather unique beginning in a way. Uh, as you may or may not recall from history, New York was actually originally settled by Dutch settlers and hmm. uh, led by a guy named Peter Stuyvesant. Well, these Dutch settlers brought with them their Dutch Reformed faith, and so although they weren't um, they weren't leaving for the United or for the for America for for religious reasons. Yet they still brought their faith with them and, and formed a church. And so, in 1628, Dutch merchants, about 50 of them, for, uh, gathered together in what would one day be New York City and and celebrated a worship service and and a sacrament, Lord's supper. And so, uh, well, for almost 400 years now, the RCA has been worshiping continuously in and uh, on the continent, of North, North America. Great. So the denomination that you said is 400 years old. Nearly 400 years old. I believe it's the oldest. Uh, it's the oldest Protestant denomination continually functioning in North America.
0: Yeah, I was going to say. I was thinking myself when you mentioned that. I thought. You know, I used to think the ARP, the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church, was the oldest. But boy, that I, that's not even close. Yeah.
1: You know, it's, well, 400 it's not, years.
0: That's that's ten generations of people. That's right. Um, that's right if you take 40 years right as the as a generation that's that's a, quite a long time now Dutch reformed background is that um, how does that how does that play into some of its theological distinctives
1: um, yeah well, confession it, ver- of faith. well it, very, it very much plays in uh, confessionally primarily um, your listeners will be familiar with the Westminster Confession of Faith and the Westminster Catechisms um but the Dutch Reformed tradition uses uh, different confessions, very similar. But we use the Heidelberg Catechism and the Belgic Confession and the Canons of Dort as our confessional standards, and so um, we come from the, the Continental Reformed tradition, whereas uh, separate from the from the British Reformation or or whatnot, or the Westminster Westminsterian tradition. And so, um, well, they're very similar in, in a lot of ways, yet the 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 flair is different within the confessions, and that 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 marks, I think, a bit of the the theological distinct, distinction of uh, the Dutch Reformed Churches.
2: Hmm.
0: Now, when you say um, the Heidelberg Catechism, the, the Belgian Confession, and the Synod of Dort, is, mm-hmm. uh, is that the three forms of unity? That would be the three forms of unity, that's correct. Okay, just uh, clarify that for the listeners so that they understand, if we mention the three forms of unity in the future right. in this discussion, you understand that we're talking about these three particular items, um, uh, as their doctrinal standards. The PCA, of course, has the Westminster Confession of Faith as their secondary standard. We, you know, make sure we say that, secondary standard. Um, and other denominations hold to the Westminster Confession of Faith, but um, the Dutch Reformed pull theirs from the, the three forms of unity, the Heidelberg Catechism, the Belgic Confession, and the Synod of Dort. And um, so that's just helpful to, to know um, that up front. Now, what are... Recently, you had your your general synod um, in June of this year, mm-hmm. and um, what do you, in your opinion, of course, uh, think right. the health of the RCA is at this particular time?
1: Yeah, that's a a good question. I would say the RCA is not is not well. We're not in mm-hmm. a good spot, um, particularly so after this previous general synod. Um, yeah, you can ask elaborating questions on on that um, for for a number of reasons. I would say the the RCA is not a healthy denomination.
0: Okay, certainly in American, we talked briefly about this off air a little bit. Um, American evangelicalism sort of changed faces a lot over the last even recent years, mm-hmm. um, and it certainly touched um, both Presbyterian and Reformed circumstances and situations across the country, right. um, you've got the issues of, uh, you know, homosexuality w- working its way into the church, you've got other matters that are um, being grossly um, misunderstood, misrepresented, mm-hmm. whatever the case may be. What are some of those theological concerns that you, you of course, now, just so people understand, when I mm-hmm. ask these kinds of questions— these are your opinions these are not like the right. facto statements of the denomination Absolutely. Right. um but your impressions of what you see going on um, what are some of those theological concerns perhaps we'll maybe start with those and then sure. maybe move to some sure. methodological issues as
1: well sure well we well, i guess there's really a there's a root cause of of my concerns and the root cause of my concerns is is biblical authority um, mm. I would confess, an inerrant word, uh, not just infallible, not just authoritative, but inerrant um, and fully accurate. And that's not the official position of the Reformed Church in America. And so what you end up having is very different understandings of what biblical authority means, very different hermeneutics as to how to understand what Scripture teaches on issues like justice, on issues like um, human sexuality, and issues like uh, gender and, and biblical manhood and womanhood. And so um, those three those three issues, I think, would become the theological concerns that uh, most, I would say, evangelicals or conservative evangelicals in the Reformed Church would have. And um, those issues surface in a number of ways. The, the issue of justice surfaced recently with the introduction of the Belhar Confession as a fourth standard or a fourth confession of the Reformed Church. The Belhar Confession was uh, a document written in in South Africa to deal with apartheid, uh, very helpful in a lot of ways, and yet make some statements that um, that leave us wondering if, if we can really use it as a confession uh, speaking of all separation as as being sinful. Of course we, we recall in the words that Paul instructs us to separate from um, from the immoral brother to expel the immoral brother does does mm-hmm. the belhar confession exclude church discipline is it is it clear enough in those matters to be able to be used as a confession also speaks of things like god is uh, in a special way the god of the poor and and can that be can that be justified with the fact that you know the lord was the one who chose abraham who was extremely wealthy and and job who was extremely wealthy and david and solomon who were extremely wealthy and so uh, how do you how do you understand statements like that mm. against the testimony of scripture. So the Belhar Confession arising out of a, a desire to embrace um, maybe more of a social agenda on justice, although I don't I don't mean to say that justice or social agendas are are entirely wrong. It, it depends on how you interpret them. The Belhar Confession arose largely out of the the left wing of the RCA and and then was formally adopted as a fourth confession in the church. And then um, before you leave that point, I, let me
0: ask a question, because mm-hmm. as I was preparing for this discussion today, I, I was on the website, and I noticed that under your doctrinal standards, it's funny how seminary students tend to gravitate towards these things, right? As you me. get on the website, like, what's your doctrinal position, right? And right. I'm Clicking away, trying to figure it out, and you know, I recognized the three forms of unity right away, and then I saw this, how do you, How did you pronounce it? The Belhar, Belhar
1: Confession, yep.
0: Yeah, and I saw that, and I thought, what is? It? I've never, never heard of that. I've been reformed since nineteen ninety five. Mm-hmm. I've never heard of anything like that in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought this was going to be interesting, and then you brought it up, and I'm glad you did. How does that then relate to the three forms of unity? Is there any conflict between them, or are they? Is it a separate thing altogether?
1: Um, is there conflict between them? It depends on who's in, depends on who's interpreting the the Belhard Confession. whether they feel there's conflict between them. Um, I, I was opposed to the, to the um, adoption of the Belhar Confession as a, as a standard in the Reformed Church in America. I, I wasn't opposed to it because I disagree with its heart. I think that the heart of it is right, especially dealing with um, apartheid in, in South Africa, where the separation of, of um, people, especially, uh, specifically the separation of Christian brothers, Based on based on race, uh, of course that should be rejected. Um, and so I agree mm. with much of the heart of it, but but it, it is it is not specific in a way that uh, traditional reformed confessions have been. Whether you're speaking of the Heidelberg Catechism or the Westminster Confession, there's a there's a degree of precision among our confessions, precisely. Um, laying out what exactly is being taught, what exactly we understand the word to be teaching. Uh, the Belhar Confession is not, is not that at all. It, it, it's much more vague. It leaves things very open-ended um, so that it can be widely interpreted in different ways. And in fact, the the author, the original author of the Belhar Confession, a man named Alan Bozak, uh, in, interprets and intends for the Belhar Confession to be interpreted uh, in a way that would include Homosexuality among uh, acceptable practices in the church, and not only that, but homosexual um, practice is, those who are, are practicing on their homosexual desires—would be fully included in the life of the church. Well, um, even his own denomination did not agree with his interpretation of the document that they that he wrote, huh. that they accepted, and so you, you see that there's a there's a level of ambiguity with. With the the Belhar confession that just isn't there with the other confessions that we have, and so um, really whether there's a disagreement between the other three and, and the Belhar confession, it really truly does depend on who's reading <laughs> who's reading the Belhar confession and, and how they already understand the other three uh, confessions that we hold to.
0: Right, I'm looking at it in fact right now um, a little more closely, um, previous uh, than I did previously, and, and for the listener's sake, I'm going to. Put a link to it on the website so that when you people are listening to this broadcast they mm-hmm. can they can reflect on it or look back at it and say, okay, I, I see where, what he's talking about and um, it's just interesting to me that a, that a denomination with such history four hundred years uh, holding to these the three forms of unity which has you know, a long standing historical basis um, has been adopted by not just the RCA but other reformed Presbyterian denominations. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, actually, I should probably shouldn't say Presbyterian, but regardless, I, I believe um, that it
1: is in the PCUSA's uh, Book of Confessions now. So I think yeah, you could, I think you're right. You could say I Presbyterian, and, okay. and uh, if you can want to hang an asterisk on that or something, you, you <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, um, there,
0: there's the the verbal asterisk there um, included. But it's just interesting to me that to have have this this historic um, stance on these the three forms of unity that that a denomination that has such a history as, as the RCA would need to run to. Um, another mm-hmm. confession to try to isolate some of these issues without creating what you've just described as some of these ambiguities or interpretive questions that are difficult to answer and tend to divide, even though what it's trying to do is unite. And it, it's just interesting to me that that would even have to happen um, given the history of the denomination. But it's sad to see that. Now, you mentioned other issues at the the last synod. What
1: were some of those? Right. Well, it- since about 1980, the Reformed Church has lived in a tension in regards to women's ordination. Um, the first woman was ordained in the 1970s by a classis that's like a presbytery by a classis uh, in the East, I'm uh, better I mean New York or, or New Jersey, that that area, um, against against the official position of the Reformed Church in America. However, through the judicial process, her ordination was upheld. And so they created this tension where, the, at that time, the majority of the Reformed Church would have been uh, of a complementarian persuasion, um, and the minority would have been in favor of women's ordination. It, but complementarians felt as though they were um, they were somewhat vulnerable, as now the rules had changed. The women were, were permitted to be ordained to the office of elder, uh, deacon, and uh, what we call minister of word and sacrament, just like a teaching elder. Mm. And so what was created, and some of my friends um, were involved in the, in the authoring of this, was something called uh, the Conscience Clauses. It, it permitted men and, who, who were serving in office, who objected on the grounds of, of biblical interpretation and conscience to the ordination of women, to serve without any threat of recrimination or any threat uh, of having to uh, go against their conscience. It also prohibited those men from being able to uh, unlawfully um, hinder the ordination of a woman to office. So it basically said, as long as as long as you're not going to go out of your way to to go against the the heart of what the denomination believes regarding women's ordination, you're allowed to stay here and live in peace, and we're not going to come after you. So that was those were those were brought in in the early 80s. Those conscience clauses and um, so we lived in this tension for about 30 years, where there were complementarians like myself within the Reformed Church who objected to women's ordination, um, but who would go to classes, uh, and there would be women pastors and churches with women elders and be present, and, and so you just had this this continual tension between the between the two sides, uh, and over that time, of course, the the position in favor of women's ordination became the dominant position, not not only dominant but uh... nearly exclusive i would say ninety percent or more of of our of our pastors and churches would probably um, would probably express support for women's ordination in some form or fashion
2: mm. and
1: so complementarians found themselves in a more and more uh, outside looking in sort of role uh... feeling less and less as that they were a part of things and in fact uh, Feeling as though their their opportunity to serve on commissions and committees and to serve uh, the denomination as a whole in any capacity was was being limited, um, or perhaps just was non-existent, well then, uh, a number of times there were attempts made to remove the conscience clauses from the Book of Church Order by um, egalitarians who felt that they were inappropriate, that we should be fully embracing women's ordination, and that it it, uh, introduced confusion into the Reformed Church.
2: Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: Finally, at this last minute in 2013, they were successful in Mm. constitutionally removing the Conscience Clauses, which have offered protection uh, for men like myself for quite some time. Now, the issue involved in the removal of the Conscience Clauses is not that uh, I'm afraid of getting brought up on discipline any, any time now immediately, but the issue really has to do with ordination of those who have, who have not yet been ordained to the office of, of minister of Word and Sacrament. To be ordained in the RCA, you have to receive what's called a certificate of fitness for ministry from one of our two official seminaries, which are both, uh, <clears throat> I guess, I would say, militantly egalitarian, or the uh, another another uh, certification agency which works outside of those seminary, seminaries. But. Mm the board of which is composed uh, pri- uh, uh, usually the majority of the board is is ordained women and those who are not ordained women are themselves egalitarian persuasion oftentimes composing uh, or comprised of professors from the other two seminaries so without the constitutional protection of the conscience clauses, it really leaves complementarians in a, in a vulnerable position and you're seeing Many of those men who would have come into the RCA opting not to even begin the ordination track now because it's very uncertain if they'll if they'll be able to be ordained.
0: Yeah, that is. uh, I don't want to use the word unfortunate because that's not strong enough. Um, It's just sad to see those kinds of things happening now. When you say that this was approved in this last General Synod, I mean in the PCA, which is where I'm a ruling elder. Mm-hmm. Um, when General Assembly yes. makes a determination to change the Constitution, it's got to go through all the presbyteries. Right. It's got to get two thirds of the presbyteries right. before it becomes ratified. Is that something that still has
1: to yes, happen? That's the same process that happens. And so, um, the 2012 General Synod uh, voted to propose that change to the classes. The vote went to the classies. It needed to get two thirds of the classies. It got exactly two thirds of the classies, Mm. and then so that means that you know there's not there wasn't a a huge degree of uh, consensus. Two thirds is not all that much, and I can explain why it's even less impressive than it sounds. Um,
0: Yes, do that.
1: Well, the the RCA is composed of about 45 classies, and so a lot of those classies are historically drawn. Um, geographic regions and so uh, early on in the RCA's history there were uh, no cars no automobiles of any kind and so we, you know, within the city of New York, within the greater New York region you may have three, four, five, six 4, 5, 6 different classes hmm. uh, and those classes may have anywhere from 600 to 1500 members total in a classes, and so um, relatively small amounts of people per classes, whereas you, you come out uh, west here to the midwest a little bit the classes I'm a member of which is Ileana, Florida classes has almost 10,000 members uh, in the classes and uh, the classes of Zealand which is uh, a very conservative classes um, has over 10,000 members in it but when the classes votes are counted Ileana, Florida and uh, Zealand each get one vote and right. uh, a number of classes who, if you you can add up 8 different classes out east Combine all their members, and they still have fewer members than Zealand classes does. Mm. So all those Eastern classes uh, voted for the removal of the conscience clause, whereas Zealand and Ileana voted against it. And yet, um, you know, there were eight votes for the removal against the one vote for the for the retention. So it, it's a it's a difficult situation when. You know, most likely the the membership of the classes—if you just tallied it up—there's no way they would get to two-thirds membership of the classes. Um, But that's not how the game is played.
0: Was this was this subject as far as women ordination and then transferring it over to the removal of this conscience clause from your constitution? Was it dealt with on an exegetical basis at all? I mean,
1: was Uh, at least it wasn't in the conversations um, around me. uh, uh, that I was involved in—it's—it's it's frequently dealt with in uh... This is the RCA's official position. We don't debate this position anymore. Now we need to figure out how to implement this official position. Mm. Um, when you when you when you attempt to inject exogenical conversation into the matter, you you quickly become the bad guy in the room. Um, and so much much of the conversation that I was involved in now perhaps this was different <clears throat> in other classes, uh-huh. but much of the conversation that I was involved in was uh, largely e- emotional appeals. So, um, you know, perhaps a, a woman who's ordained stands up and says, the conscience causes make me feel uncomfortable. They make me feel as though I'm not fully ordained as a male counterpart is, and so I think they should go. Now, whether there's merit to that or not is a conversation for a different day.
0: Yeah, but it sounds highly
1: pragmatic. It, it, it's it, it was not... At least the conversations I was a part of and and i'm I'm rather widely involved um, in conversation at least on on these sorts of matters. The conversation was was largely not exegetical um, and I, mm-hmm. i'm I'm not sure if it ever was or or not is there any recourse for
0: you mentioned some of the conservatives the conservative classes and and certainly you've been in contact or talked with some of them I would imagine mm-hmm. um I, I know I would be um if I were in that situation, is there any recourse under your constitution to try to change that process? Or are you pretty much stuck with it? Well,
1: uh, yeah, we're we're pretty much stuck with it. Um, Is there a way to change that? Yes, there is. Um, It it involves changing the Book of Church order, which involves getting a two-thirds classes vote in your favor. Right. So you're right back where you started. So so the the immovable object preventing all... Reform that would that would favor um, the evangelicals or the conservative uh, reformed wing of the denomination is the the two thirds requirement in the Book of Church Order for the classes vote. Until the classes are restructured, which uh, will never happen, um, until the classes are restructured, it will be impossible to make positive Book of Church Order or constitutional changes.
0: Well, let me ask this question. This is a practical question, and mm-hmm. and I and I am trying to find the most sensitive way to ask this. Um, obviously, you're a minister of, the, of, of God's Word. Mm-hmm. Um, you're a pastor of a rather large mm-hmm. congregation, as you've mentioned to me, off-air. Um, what do you do, and is there any risk to you as a minister when you deal with passages in the New Testament that absolutely debunk your own denomination's position?
1: Yeah, uh, we are uh, a congregation that's 152 years old, and we've been a uh, congregation that has stood upon the Word, even and especially perhaps on matters of gender and sexuality and biblical manhood and womanhood. And so it's expected <laughs> of me here that I will do exactly that. Now, Praise the Lord. There is there is no recourse against me for for preaching that way. I, I make it grief over it, but there's no recourse against me for preaching on the, the truth of the word in regards to women's ordination and, and uh, not only to our position, but to the historic position of the Church and the majority position of the Church universal even now. Um, so there, there's, no, there's no problem there. Uh, the problem would be that if I wasn't ordained, um, and right. it, it was to come out that I would believe that... In, in essence, we're, we're entering a waiting game where, uh, with very few to no complementarians coming into the denomination, where, where's a church like mine going to find its next its next uh, pastor?
0: Yeah. So, so if I could summarize, if if I were to graduate from seminary and decide that I want to pursue a call in the RCA, and then they examine me and find out that I'm absolutely opposed to women's ordination, I would be pretty much I would be pretty much bounced.
1: It it really depends. Uh, but, that, but there's a high likelihood of that. Anyway, it, it's it, certainly a possibility, and uh, you you would. Whereas before you could claim a constitutional pr- protection, now you would be entirely uh, you would be entirely dependent upon the good graces of the of the certification agencies, um,
0: which, which could be con- which could be composed of women who are had have been ordained.
1: Will be composed of that, and, and the composition of which will change from year to year. And mm. whose mood may change from interview to interview right, um, and so sounds like a vicious cycle you know you you invest thousands of dollars and lots and lots of time in taking courses and and uh, entering this program um, wow. and now your hope of coming out is no longer a constitutionally protected hope your hope of coming out is is based upon the good graces of those who have very strong disagreements with your position and that, that makes you very vulnerable
0: yes, and as I listen to you talk, I can hear in your just in the way you're expressing it, the, 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 the weight of it. Um, I'm listening to it. I'm not in the RCA and I feel bad for you given that situation. Um, it's just gotta be very difficult. Um, all the more reason to pray for our brothers who are in these denominations that are in these circumstances, you know mm-hmm. we us in the conservative world um, of which I find myself uh, very much embroiled and i 'm glad uh, embroiled that 's the wrong word but i'm i 'm part of that and mm-hmm. it's strongly confessional strongly right. uh, inerrant in the inerrant infallible word of God right. and, and no no apologies are ever going to come from my mouth right. on that subject. But, you know, it's easy for us on this side to, to look across the pond, as it were, and say, well, what's keeping you there?
1: That's a very good question.
0: And and, and forget that there are men such as yourself, and as you've indicated, other men um, in other congregations that are trying to labor where, God, where they find themselves, and trying to mm-hmm. deal with these matters in a God-honoring manner. Mm-hmm. And the reminder, I think, for all of us, listeners included, is that— uh, we need to be actively praying for men in these circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm in the PCA. We've got our issues, but we're we don't have that issue.
1: No, um, you don't. And, and and having been a, uh, I attended a PCA church for a couple of years in Jackson when I went to RTS. And uh, you know, it was it was very much a breath of fresh air. But I, I got the question yeah. very often while I was there. Why are you going to the RCA? Why, why are you going there? What, what would draw you there? And now, the RCA is a different place now than it was three years ago um, when I graduated and yeah. uh, with the removal of the Conscience Clause and, and uh, things like that make make it a very different environment. Um, but, you know, there there are good and faithful churches who have been in the RCA for a long time and who need good leadership, and um, there comes a point at which your conscience doesn't allow you to serve within a certain denomination anymore. And when that point comes, then, then you don't come into the RCA or, or you leave the RCA if that point comes. But until you get to that point, then for those of us who grew up within the reformed church America, there was really, there was really a heart for ministering to those people
2: who, uh,
1: who we shared common background with, who we, we shared in the struggle with. Um, and so where that point of conscience comes is, is an issue for discussion. Um, but that, that was really the reason that was really the reason for, for embarking back into the RCA, um, because there, there are good, God-fearing, Bible-believing churches that need solid preaching of the Word.
0: Right. Did you grow up in an RCA
1: yes, context? It's the only denomination I've ever been a member of. It's the only place I've ever been able to call home, as far as uh, a denomination goes. Uh, my grandfather... Is uh, a retired RCA minister. My great grandfather was an RCA minister and church planner, um, and so I'm I'm Dutch through and through, both sides. Um, my, my history in the Reformed Church go in and and both sides of my family goes back a, a significant ways, and so um, there's a there's a there's a heritage here that that uh, counts for something, not everything.
0: Yeah, this is a reminder for us as we. Um, think about our brothers laboring in these denominations to be praying actively for their work. Right. If, if you get nothing else from this entire uh, discussion on this one little subject, well, I shouldn't say little, but one subject, um, that's what you get from it, yep. um, and to be praying for them. We spent a lot of time on that, so I'm going to rapidly move through some of these other aspects uh, that okay. the RCA is involved in. Um, church planting.
1: Yep. Yeah, the RCA is very involved in church planting. Um, trying to plant um, a very large number of churches in the next um, decade or so, and as with most church planting endeavors, meeting with mixed success. If there's a glimmer of hope in the Reformed Church, it's it's in the it's in the church planting. Uh, church planters uh, tend to be just more conservative on average than than your average RCA uh, mm-hmm. average RCA church or average RCA pastor. So there's a lot right. of emphasis in, on the evangelical side in. In putting a lot of resources into the church planting and hoping to multiply.
0: That'd be one way, really, kind of moving back to what we just talked about. If churches that were in that conservative situation that were opposed to what's going on planted churches and sort of were careful Mm -hmm. in that process, that would be one way to upset the balance.
1: Yeah, you get to plant churches in in the classes that are unfavorable towards your position, which is is very difficult.
0: Yep, to but you know, it's one thing that we talked a little bit about here in the PCA with some of the issues we're dealing with is, you know, we've got to turn the, change the balance a little bit, and I don't know how else to do it. Um, you know, status quo is not going to accomplish it. Right. Um, so you sort of work that out. You mentioned that, uh, I think you said, two
1: seminaries. Yes, that's right.
0: Where are those, and what are they?
1: Yeah, we have uh, Western Theological Seminary, which is located in Holland, Michigan, and New Brunswick Theological Seminary, which is located in New Brunswick, New Jersey, I believe it's actually on the campus of Rutgers University. Mm. Uh, New Brunswick Seminary is, um, and I'm sure they wouldn't even be upset to hear me describe it this way, they're, they're a liberal seminary, a progressive seminary. Their previous president um, was actually tried in 2005 at General Synod um, because he performed <clears throat> a wedding for his daughter and her partner, and so... Uh. A very robustly pro-homosexual uh, ordination bent at New Brunswick Seminary, um, but largely irrelevant um, outside of the eastern portion of the RCA. Uh, much more relevant is Western Seminary, which is uh, has um, more of an impact on the denomination as a whole. But there, too, uh, one, of the, one of the New Testament professors just wrote a book entitled Bible, Gender, um, and Sexuality. And... The uh, the book was uh, definitely a, coming from a pro homosexual inclusion bent, um, and he has recently, you know, been uh, making speeches about the book and presenting on the book. Um, Great, and uh, even participating in events like uh, Holland is Ready, which is a, a pro pro homosexual acceptance sort of event in Holland, Michigan, where the seminary is, and so. Um, You'll see, you'll see an increasing level of boldness among the professors at Western Seminary, which would have been, uh, which would not have been there a number of years ago, on the issue of uh, of what they call full inclusion. Um, and so, the the seminaries for those of us who are evangelical and and reformed and um, that sort of thing, the seminaries are just not educational options that are that are open to us at this point. Just a propaganda machine. Well, it's it certainly it certainly is not a lot of place that uh, you or I would feel very comfortable.
0: <laughs> no, it doesn't sound like it. But uh, it is interesting. You have two. Um, I know some Presbyterian Reformed denominations. I don't have any.
1: <laughs> yeah, that, so, and, and, and you know, there's there's wisdom in not having any. Um, right. When there's more accountability. When when the seminaries are written into your book of church order, and um, when they're when they're Uh, Supported at least in part through assessment dollars, Um, Mm -hmm. then there's there's just by nature less accountability than there would be if um, if if it was like an RTS system where the seminary is independent of of the denominations and is is only as fruitful as they permit it to be. Yeah, well, it is.
0: You know, it's it's interesting because as you're talking about the seminaries, I thought, well, I mean, who has oversight over these seminaries? I mean, they have a board of trustees, I'm assuming, um, but is that run by the denomination so that they have full control over what they do?
1: There is a board of trustees for the seminary, and the general synod is to oversee some of the professors. um, But like most things in the RCA, uh, rather conflicted in identity, rather conflicted in in purpose and vision. And so, um, mm-hmm. I, I, from my perspective, very little true accountability. Um, but What is the attendance at
0: these seminars? I mean, it's attendance. <laughs> what is the uh, what is the enrollment?
1: Yeah, you know, um, I'm, uh, I'm not actually sure what the enrollment is. Um, you, you get the pamphlets in the mail that speak of good enrollment numbers, but, but um, they're not going to tell you if it's bad. So uh, I'm not actually sure that would be a good thing to... Uh, yeah, it well, was just up.
0: interesting to me if, if if it was a high enrollment, then you can see where some of the problems are coming from and mm-hmm. why you're kind of moving in this direction or mm-hmm. have moved. Um, if not, then you kind of ask those questions in a different place. You know, why is it? You know, what's yeah. feeding yeah. this this liberal mindset in the denomination? Is it the seminary level? I'm sure at some level it probably is, um, but in other areas, what are what is feeding that? Well, we've talked about the negative things, and that's for me always easier.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) just my personality, I think. But um, what are some positive things that you see coming out of the denomination?
1: Yeah, that's a more difficult question to answer. Um, If we'd had this this interview six months ago before General Synod, I would have told you about General Synod 2012, where uh, through the course of events we were able to to pass a resolution that states that Officiating homosexual weddings or, or openly advocating for homosexual inclusion in the church uh, are what we call the disciplinable offense. Um, that is uh, just open to discipline at the classes level or, or discipline from a local elder board. Um, but that that declaration was rescinded at our at our path, and, and actually repented of. Um, so I, I would I would say at this point um, it's difficult to find a silver lining. In the in the direction of the Reformed Church in America, that's different than saying that there aren't uh, a lot of good guys and a lot of solid churches. Um, but at this point, as far as the direction of the denomination is concerned, um, it, it's difficult to find too many positive things to to hang your hat on. And and those things which may be positive, uh, new staff members or or new professors or this kind of thing. Um, the it, it, the jury's out on on what uh, maybe some of the more evangelical maybe some of the mm. more evangelical leaning leaders of the denomination are going to be able to do or, or even go, are going to be able to be willing to do. Um, so I, w- I would say that um, uh, right now right now we're facing a very difficult trajectory a very a very daunting trajectory with a lot of big obstacles to reform and uh, I think the real possibility that that the RCA just isn't going to be able to be called home for evangelicals or or for uh, uh, people who are conservative and reformed.
0: Yeah, I'm thinking of one denomination in the Presbyterian world that at one time in its history was the bastion of Presbyterian thought and reformed thought, and now I wouldn't get anywhere near. Mm. And it just seems to me that that's just the tendency of human nature to destroy that which is... (laughs) Starts out great and ends up horrible. Um, I don't know why that is. Uh, well, I do know the reason, but anyway, that's another subject for another mm-hmm. day. What, for context purposes, are there any men in your denomination that, that that those of us who are not as acquainted with the RCA might know, just off you know household names?
1: Yeah, uh, Kevin DeYoung is an RCA pastor, and okay. uh, a friend of mine. We've worked together in in renewal. Um, Work and in many conversations about that sort of thing for quite a while, um, so he would he would definitely be the best known. Even Didn't he write full. a book on pastoring? Uh, Kevin Young has written a number of books
0: on pastoring. Yeah, okay. Well, that is, so I bet you I've I definitely probably was right about that. Then mm-hmm. I, I want to say I've read one of his books, and I'm and I'm actually trying to put my hand on it as we're talking, um, in my home library, which is not as well, anyway, I can't remember the name of it uh, Maybe you know.
1: Well um, I'm trying to think of what maybe you're talking about. He he wrote a book on the Heidelberg Catechism, which I highly recommend, um called The Good News We Almost Forgot. And uh uh-huh. it's a it's a survey of the Heidelberg Catechism and I, I thought just a, a fantastic introduction to one of the one of the very I, I would say the crown jewel of the of the reformed confessional document. And um uh-huh. He's involved together for the gospel and the gospel question. He blogs for the gospel question. So a lot of good resources that he writes that come out of our tra- our tradition. Um, so I think I think Kevin would be the best known, the best known evangelical sure. voice in the Reformed Church. Sure.
0: Well, we we're getting close to the end. Of the time that I promised I'd probably have you off. Um, you know, I was gonna, the next question I was going to ask you is how can the larger body be praying for the denomination, but I think we've covered that.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, well, I would add uh, also that, the, that there be prayer for those of us like myself who are increasingly finding ourselves at, odd with the, at odds with the direction of the Reformed Church, that we'd have wisdom to know uh, what the Lord is calling us to do, where He's calling us to be, and where He's calling us to go.
0: Yeah, and it's not just you. It's not just the ministers. And this is a point that I think a lot of people forget. You know, when you're talking, ask the question. You know, what's keeping you in the RCA, or what's keeping you in wherever you may be? Um, it, it, especially as a minister, um, it seems to me that the, that you're not just answering the question for yourself, but you're also talking about the you know the, the hundreds of people or thousands of people, as the case may be. Um, that you're also thinking about as well, your congregations and those right. those men and women, those families that have been charged to you um, right. uh, to minister to. Uh, you know, you're, you're really answering the question not just individually, but also corporately. And there's a lot to think about there. Um, yep, that's right. As you as you indicated, you know, it's not just it's not just those people, but it's also the history and all the the, the family relations and those kinds of aspects that are just sort of feed that that mix and um, makes it all the more difficult, I think, at some level.
1: Certainly. And, um, you know, ministering in a context where what you're preaching from the pulpit on Sunday morning is different than what people may be reading on the Denomination's website. It introduces confusion, uh, mm. introduces a, a degree of, of consternation, I think, into into the people's thoughts and, and uh, hearts. And so all those things add extra hurdles and extra challenges that Uh, brothers and sisters in the in the PCA or the OPC or the ARP or wherever may not necessarily be facing at least not to the same degree
0: no there's no question I I mean I'm in the as as you've heard me say already I'm in the PCA we've got our problems I mean there's I'm fond of mentioning them but um, you know but not like this and um, you know you just you just tend to forget about our brothers who are laboring in places that are far worse situations than we find ourselves and we bemoan what we see going on in our own denomination, and rightly so. Um, but then we look across and we see and we say, wow, man, we're not even close to that kind mm-hmm. of a problem, um, at least not yet. I mean, I could see it happening. Um, I hope it doesn't, but I could see it happening. Um, and you know, how would we react to that? And those of us who want to stand on the authority of scripture and preach it faithfully and and, and not waver from these kinds of what I call slippery slope type issues um, it just it it just to me again it just brings me back to the reality that we we have brothers who are laboring in very difficult circumstances and we need to be praying for those churches we need to be praying for those elders well and 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 so and and so forth because um, it it is difficult regardless of uh, of what people might think and say, and you mentioned the trajectory already, I was going to talk about, you know, what do you see happening in the future? Mm -hmm. Um, But I think, you know, without beating a dead horse, (laughs) um, you know, make it worse than it already is situation. Um, But where do you see 10 years down the road? If you had to predict.
1: Uh, 10 years down the road, if I had to predict, I predict a a significantly smaller Reformed church in America, uh, significantly more liberal Reformed church in America, um, and an increasingly broke Reformed church in America that, that is largely devoid of, of major evangelical voices and particularly of conservative evangelical voices. I, I think a lot of the moves the RCA has made in the last few years have been to, to homogenize and to and to intentionally mm. strengthen the, the, the church. Um, and I, I think that um, when a number of the, the larger, more evangelical churches begin to see the writing on the wall. I think that I think the church is going to. I think that I think the Reformed Church of America could very well find itself in its uh, in its final years if if things don't change. I could be totally wrong, um, but my uh, my crystal ball, if you want to put it that way, says the RCA would be smaller, uh, more liberal, and significantly less relevant, shall we say, in the in the scope of of the mm. American church. 10 years from
0: now well it's sad to hear that and i i'll confess openly when i was thinking about this discussion today i wasn't expecting to hear any of this <laughs> i admit that um and so i'm a little taken aback by you know where do i take the conversation and what do i even talk about yeah, sure um, it just sounds i mean i can hear it in your tone of voice and and understandably um especially as one who grew up in that denomination, you mm-hmm. obviously have close relations there, um, close history. Um, mm-hmm. and it's just hard. It's hard to see in, in some sense, maybe I'm, unless I missed my, unless my guess is way off in some sense, it's like seeing a family member who just decides to just go and leave the family and do what they want and sort of depart from everything that they've ever known. In some sense, that's, that's what it's like for you. Um, mm-hmm. because that's all you've known.
1: It's uh, your whole life. Yeah. It, you No, know, it, it's, it's personal in a way that that it wouldn't be um, if there wasn't so much history there, um, you know. And and having family family members in the Reformed Church who would disagree with me on some of these issues, um, you know, really there is there's a there's a there's a sense of of uh, hurt that goes deeper than maybe it would in other situations. The RCA is a small denomination as well. Uh, I mean. Um, 140,000 members or, or so. And so there's a way in which you really, you see the same people uh, pop up here and here and here, and, and you really begin mm-hmm. to know who's who and, and who fits where. Um, lots of relationships, and, and I've only been ordained for three years. Um, i been involved in the RCA for a little bit longer than that uh, as far as, you know, meeting with people and going to, to Senate sure. sort of thing. But, you know, the, there's a there's a sense of, of relational loss involved in a lot of this as well um, and so that that does add to the it does certainly add to the to the mix and and there's yeah. there's a sense of hurt but there's also a degree to which as a as a as a minister of the word you you make your decisions based on what's best for Christ church and and what what is going to allow for the gospel to be most, most faithfully and powerfully proclaimed not only now but for years to come and so those are a lot of the a lot of the conversations and decisions that many of us are, are facing now
0: Well, it's a great reminder too, as what you just said is that, you know, this is Christ church, um, left to ourselves. We would be a mess. We already are a mess and, um, we'd be much more of a mess than we already are. That's Um, and thankfully he is sovereign and he is running his church. It is his, he is the king and head of it. And, um, I'm just thankful to be a part of it in some small measure. And, um, and, and to try to be faithful um wherever i may find myself as you are trying to be faithful there in in um in illinois and um you know my wife was born in illinois just as an aside <laughs> so it must be a great state
1: cuz that's Well actually i, I live from. in indiana because the taxes are a lot cheaper so illinois is not that great
0: <laughs> Okay well there you go uh, <laughs> wrong again <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, well it's still Illinois is still a good state if only because of the fact that my wife was born there you there. Go. fine. There you <laughs> go. That much I know I'm right there about. You go. Um if that even makes any sense at all. Well, Pastor Coppers, it's been great. I mean, to talk with you. Not great to hear the report mm-hmm. in the in the way things are headed, but at least it's given me personally something to pray for you. Sure. I, I've never met you and, and and who knows if we ever will. <laughs> Maybe someday. Um but at least I know your name and your voice, and I know your, the circumstance you find yourself in. And mm-hmm. and I will be praying for the RCA, um, for your ministry, uh, th- that the Lord would protect you from any pushback um, from you trying to be faithful to the Scriptures and, and preach these matters, especially when they come up, and that you would persevere. Um, and I know it's difficult when you feel like everything's against you, um, and you feel like you're the odd man out, um, but... Um, but I will be praying for that, and I encourage the listeners to be praying for these denominations, not just the RCA, but definitely them, uh, that find themselves in these circumstances. That there's more people in those circumstances than people realize. And um, pray that the Lord would keep them faithful to these things and not give in to what is often Satan often uses uh, with men that minister the Word, that the pressure of their peers can be huge. And so you pray that God would protect them from that, because um, as I mentioned just recently in a sermon I was preaching, men uh, don't stay in the pulpit week after week to entertain people. They're standing there as the mouthpiece of God preaching His Word, and it's not always popular.
2: Hmm.
0: And so you pray for these men, especially in unfriendly circumstances, because that's what this is. Um, And you pray that God would would cause them to persevere, and and work and and be effective and and minister where they are. Um, it sounds like your congregation is is really flourishing and 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 thankful to the Lord for that
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, as well. Uh, any further comments?
1: No, I just want to thank you for having me on today, and um, and I hope uh, you
0: don't get any pushback from your discussion
1: with me. <laughs> no, it'll be fine. And nothing nothing I said here I I wouldn't be able to say somewhere else and haven't at some point in time said somewhere else publicly. So. Um, right. It, it, there's no secret. There's a lot of there's a lot of uh there's a lot of tension with the Reformed Church and and um uh, we just touched on it today a little bit.
0: Yeah, well yeah, I, I don't know how much more I would want to touch on because it's I'm already depressed in some sense.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Imagine living it.
0: Yeah, and see that's just it. I mean we we tend to get very we live in very small worlds and so you know we kinda get wrapped around I get wrapped around my PCA world and I forget there's there's other things going on out there that people have it much worse than I think I have it or, 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 you know, in in those kinds of circumstances, it was so easy just to get closed-minded about that and not, and not realize that there are men who are trying to faithfully labor in circumstances that are extremely hostile.
1: Um, yeah, you know, the PCA looks like some pretty green pastures to me. I'll, I'll I'll admit that.
0: See, and I like the way you put that. And so that's a good reminder for us in the PCA. They're always crying about what's going on. Hey, it's not pleasant at times, but, uh, um, but, but we're not there yet, um but it's a reminder to us that that's where we will be if we're not faithful now to do what we're supposed to do and and it just it doesn't take long you know what what is it rome wasn't built in a day but it only takes a day to destroy it you know and it's that's what happens and so pray for christ church pray for the rca and and pray that the the men of god that have been called to minister in these circumstances would be faithful and not succumb to the pressure because, hey, look, um, they got families to feed and there's all kinds of circumstances, Mm -hmm. um, that are, that are pressure, they're pressure cooker circumstances. And so we as Christ church just need to be praying for these men and pray for this man who is laboring in, um, Illinois, but lives in Indiana, um, (laughs) pray pray for him as he, um, endeavors to be faithful to God's word. And I do, again, thank you for being on to, to really, I, I was educated in some sense. And I hope people that listen were as well. If you hang on the line just a minute, I will um, just wrap things up and then that'll be the, be it for today. As you've noticed, we've been talking with pastor Ben Coppers about the RCA, uh, the reformed church in America. uh, Some of the, the the issues, circumstances, concerns, and um, those of you who are in the OPC, the PCA, maybe another denomination. Then you're thinking, man, that that's, Sounds terrible. Well, it is. And so before you start bemoaning your own circumstances and your own crisis in your denomination and start, look, realize that there are men, faithful men, in these situations. Um, you're not there yet. Fine. But remember these, these people. And, and when you're praying for Christ church, pray for these men who are in these circumstances. Um, if, if you get nothing else from this discussion today, you ought to have got that by now, because I think I've said it about ten times. So um, just be mindful of that circumstance. Coming up on the broadcast, I will be talking with who am I going to be talking with? I actually don't even know. Oh wait a minute, I do know. I'll be talking with Amy Bird. She is the author of the book Housewife Theologian. Uh, that was a previously scheduled discussion that has been that was pushed off till next week. So next week you'll be hearing that discussion. It'll be my first female guest. On the program, so I look forward to that, uh, especially for all those wives and housewives. I mean, I hate to put it that way, but I don't know how else to describe it. Um, who labor at home on a day-to-day basis? The job is harder than you might realize. You know, when I was a young husband and father, I used to think, well, it'd be really be great just to sit around the house all day. <laughs> Boy, was I ignorant! Uh, but anyway, we'll be talking with her about this book that she has written that is directed towards women and Housewife Theologian is the title of the book so look forward to that discussion coming up next week so until then thank you for listening to this particular edition of Confessing Our Hope the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary and God bless